Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. I hope everybody enjoyed yesterday's show with Gabriella Carroll. We had a really good conversation about the landscape of college football. If you didn't get a chance to check it out, I highly recommend it. It'll get you up to speed on all the important storylines and threads that are going on in the background of college football. It wasn't so heavy on discussion about the state of where the teams are right now going forward for this particular season more big picture things concepts philosophies ideas about where the game is going where it is right now things along that nature so it's a really good conversation i highly recommend checking it out today's show is our weekly football weekend preview show we have a guest for friday show that's why i'm recording the football preview episode for thursday so we will have a guest on friday we are going to talk about the major league baseball stretch run and how the st louis cardinals have inexplicably gotten themselves into a playoff spot what's gone wrong for teams like the mets the padres and other things that'll be on friday but today's show will be our weekly look ahead for the upcoming football weekend we'll go We'll check in on all 16 games, have a few picks for you at the end, make, hopefully, I should say, hopefully make you some hard-earned legal U.S. currency. It's early still in the NFL season. Week three, we still don't know who's good, who's not good, who's pretending, who's just situationally advantageous is the way I like to call the teams who are sitting at 1-1 one and one or 2-0, and oh, even though they probably shouldn't be. Teams that have had soft schedules to start, teams that have had fortunate injury things pop up for the team they're playing, and we're going to get on into it. So, actually, before I get on into it, gotta take care of business. Please help support the show, whatever means possible. Hopefully, if you're listening to the show, you are already subscribed to us on whatever podcasting platform you prefer apple podcast spotify soundcloud stitcher google play all the major ones this show is available there next if you see the show on social media signal boost it so other people can find it please people clicking on the link randomly helps grow the show even if people only check out episodes sporadically based on the guest or subject matter that helps me out immensely so signal boosting it helps other people find the show means a lot and lastly if you are an Apple Podcast user, Apple controls the world. We know this. It sucks. Please leave a review. On Apple Podcasts, go to our show's page. Go to the bottom past our recent episodes. There are going to be five clear purple stars. You want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. And if you have a minute, underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. If you have a second, please leave a few words of encouragement. I say it every single episode. Feedback of any kind means the world. Any podcast you enjoy, not just this one, leaves the content creator a review, a written review. That stuff helps us out a lot. It lets us show potential employers or advertisers the kind of traction we have. The more reviews we get, the better the show does. That stuff is important. It makes it easier for me to get better guests on the show, things of that nature. Now, with that said, let's all be careful out there this weekend uh, to quote Milton Berle the talk show host let's let's all be careful out there this weekend okay we think we know things about the NFL and I'm gonna pretend I know things about the NFL on the other side of this drop based on what's happened through two games but there's a whole lot of football left to be played hope I don't sound like a dumbass in a week or two from now I'll see you guys in one sec And with that, we will jump on into it. The first game of the weekend is, of course, Thursday Night Football. On paper, not the sexiest matchup. The Carolina Panthers going to Houston as seven-point favorites. It is going to be Davis Mills making his first NFL start, the Stanford product, drafted in the second round, I believe, by the Houston Texans this past spring. Not a ton of experience at Stanford. I believe a two-year starter in college, and last year the Pac-12 had an abbreviated season, so he did not get a full season's worth of games. Houston has played better than I expected them to. They've shown some fight. They hung around with the Browns. Yes, I know the Browns are dealing with injuries. They basically had no NFL wide receivers on the field. Yes, I know Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones had NFL experience and were on the field. 
Those are not Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. The Browns were able to hold on with the tight ends and running the ball. Baker Mayfield only had 21-22 passing attempts. Browns always felt firmly in control of that game. The Browns' defense was concerning in that game this past weekend. Weren't able to get much of, much of a pass rush going. And Houston is going to have to try and minimize what Davis Mills has to do because this is this guy's first game. Carolina's defense has a bunch of names. The defense hasn't been great yet. It's played okay. Didn't give up a ton of points to the Jets, and it played pretty well against the Saints, but I do think part of the, that was just Jameis Winston imploding, and whatever defense was on the other side of Jameis last weekend was going to play pretty well. So Carolina's yet to really play a good offense, and Houston's not a good offense, make no mistake, but... Houston was able to move the ball against Cleveland, and if they can just take those shots to Brandon Cooks, if they can hit the running game, if they can keep it moving, I mean, they have every running back over the age of 30 in that backfield and Phillip Lindsay to go with those guys. So I got to say, I'm impressed with Houston. I don't think I'm going to bet this game, at least not straight up. If anything, I would recommend you teasing Carolina down to a point, point and a half from seven, seven and a half, whatever number you see. I think that is a reasonable bet. I don't think Houston can win this game outright with Davis Mills as the quarterback. I just don't. And getting out there early while the number is usable in a tease is not a bad idea. I want to see Sam Darnold continue to pro progress. I don't want to see him making easy mistakes. Every Jet fan who's listening right now is thinking about how Sam Darnold, as soon as things started to go right for him, would immediately self-immolate by throwing a terrible interception because he didn't play on his feet and had bad fundamentals. I do think having Christian McCaffrey has made his life a whole lot easier. Having McCaffrey consistently as a checkdown option has made his life a whole lot easier. Never really had that dynamic at, with the Jets. Never had a running back that was used in that way. I mean, the Jets did technically have Le'Veon Bell, but they never used him as that kind of facilitator, security blanket type player like Carolina does with McCaffrey. Definitely... Carolina wins that game. I think Carolina's viable in a teaser. I don't think you can play Carolina plus seven and a half. Just Sam Darnold covering a touchdown. I, I just don't think Sam Darnold's covering a touchdown in his third start in Carolina. Next on the docket, these are in time kickoff. I didn't organize them based on quality of game or by the point to spreads or anything. I organized it just by the timing on the schedule. Next up, I have the Los Angeles Chargers. At the Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs are six-and-a-half-point favorites. Kansas City is probably the best team in football, even though they have one loss, and that one loss was to the Ravens on Sunday Night Football and what was a great game, one of the great games of the season, and you can say that about a game that was played in Week 2 because we know it's true. These are two of the best teams in the entire league, not just the AFC. The Chargers, frustrating game out of the Chargers this past week against the Cowboys. Yes, they got hosed by the officials, but to quote Rich Eisen, you got to play better than the officials officiate. And yes, Dallas got a couple calls that really kept them in that game and stopped uh, the Chargers from scoring. Chargers didn't look great. They asked a lot out of Justin Herbert in that game. He had to make some difficult throws, a couple red zone interceptions, which were not great. I did not love the game plan there from the Chargers. The Chargers played a lot better in week one against what was assumed to be a pretty good Washington football team defense. And Dallas' defense is nothing to write home about, but it does seem like Trayvon Diggs, the corner, is legit. Uh, he's played pretty well through two weeks. I believe he has two interceptions. He's had one each of the last two weeks. Minka Parsons was playing edge rusher, and that just goes to show you how much of an athletic freak Parsons is because he was a Mike linebacker in college and basically can play anywhere on the defense because he's so fast and so athletic. And I want to see more out of him before I anoint him the next great Dallas linebacker because we've seen it happen a couple times in the last few years, whether it was post-knee surgery Jalen Smith or Leighton Van Der Esch, we've seen a young linebacker play pretty well for Dallas and then fall off a cliff or get hurt or just never look the same for some reason. Want to see more out of Parsons, but Diggs has been pretty good. That Dan Quinn cover three defense is holding. It's not great, but... They haven't been a hindrance so far. They held the Chargers to less than 20 points. They looked decent. And Kansas City is going to have to th get 
something resembling a running game or do you use short passes as a facsimile for the running game, kind of like what the Bills did last year, especially in their playoff games? But the Chiefs just have no running game element to their game at all right now, and it's going to allow teams to drop guys back in coverage. And against a team like the Chargers that has really good athletes like Asante Samuel Jr., like Derwin James, like Joey Bosa, they're going to be able to play some coverage if they know it's going to be a pass every single play. Of course, you don't want to sit in zone and just wait for Mahomes to dot you up. But at the very least, you got to be able to play some coverage. And I do think the Chargers will be able to do that. The absence of a pass rusher opposite Joey Bosa may prove to be a problem going forward. Melvin Ingram has played pretty well in his new landing spot. And Joey Bosa has gotten a lot of double teams. And they're going to need somebody else to step up in the pass rush and someone else down in the, near the line of scrimmage to make plays. Otherwise, that defense is not going to be as good as it was on paper. I think you can safely tease Kansas City down from 6.5 to a half point. I don't really see a world in which the Chargers go into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs this early in the season. Later in the season, I think you could make an argument that once the Chargers iron out their kinks on offense especially, they're going to be able to hang with Kansas City. But right now, you can see that the Chargers are still kind of trying to work things out offensively, find the right flow. Austin Eckler hasn't been incorporated just as much as I'd like him to be. They're still Still not really sure how to use him. He's kind of playing like a glorified James White right now, and we all know Austin Eckler is a better football player than James White, and that's no disrespect to James White, but I think Austin Eckler is better than just being a third-down scat back for short yardage plays. I think you want to get the ball in his hands as a creator, as a playmaker, because he has the ability to make guys miss. Of course, we know what Keenan Allen is going to be. That Chiefs defense cannot stop the run. At all, we saw the Ravens rush for, I believe, six yards a clip in their game, including Lamar runs, including the gimmicky plays, six-something yards a clip. The Chiefs cannot stop the run. That's in part because they did have to move Chris Jones, their nose tackle, outside to try and generate a pass rush because they have no pass rush. So this is a good opportunity for the Chargers to figure out the running component of their game against a bad Chiefs running defense. Of course, though, you're not going to beat the Chiefs running the ball. The Browns gave you the template. you got to come out and score touchdowns every single time you have the ball if you want a realistic chance of beating them, unless you can force turnovers like the Ravens did. Then it's okay to punt every now and then. Game number three on the docket, the Arizona Cardinals going to Jacksonville. Seven and a half point road favorites. I'm not touching this one with a 10-foot pole. I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury. And yes, I know the Jaguars are pitiful. Weird things happen when you are a road favorite to your when you are a young team as a road favorite. And I'm not saying the Cardinals are bad. I I just teams play very differently when they are favorites versus underdogs. I mean the most excuse me, the most obvious one, Mike Tomlin is the Steelers coach. The Steelers have a significantly better record as underdogs than they do as favorites, especially on the road. I could see a world in which the Jaguars backdoor this, especially at that number, seven and a half, as a road favorite. We know Cliff Kingsbury can get weird with his offensive play calling, get a little bit too vanilla. I do like what I've seen from Arizona, though. They're using Rondale Moore, the Purdue, the Purdue wide receiver, the Purdue product. Now, I shouldn't say Purdue wide receiver because he's in the NFL. They've used him very well. At They've used him the way the Giants should be using Kadarius Toney. They are getting him the ball in space. He's being dynamic with the ball in his hands. DeAndre Hopkins is, of course, probably the best jump ball receiver in the NFL. They've found some semblance of a... They've found a way to make Kyler Murray's style of football viable at the NFL level. And I'm not saying that as a discount on Murray's talent because it's obvious, but Kyler Murray could not operate in certain systems that exist in the NFL right now. And there are teams that if they would have drafted him, wouldn't have used him properly. There are not a whole lot of offenses in the NFL that can have the football equivalent of a fadeaway jump shot like Kyler Murray's one throw-up ball during the week. To De- I believe it was DeAndre Hopkins during the Lair game this past weekend. And yeah, Arizona probably should have lost to the Vikings. All the Vikings had to do was hit a chip shot field goal. But their record is what they say they are. And at 2-0, Arizona is ahead of where Seattle is in their division. This is an entirely winnable game. 
I don't expect the Jaguars to win this game outright. I do think the Jaguars can keep this within a touchdown. I don't think that's the most absurd thing. Arizona's defense is not particularly good. Yes, they have the ability to make some plays on the ball. Buda Baker's pretty good. Isaiah Simmons has shown you flashes over the last two years. Chandler Jones had a freak week one, pretty quiet week two. And then on the opposite side, you got J.J. Watt. The corners are not great. There's opportunity here. I, I I might hold my nose and bet Jacksonville plus seven and a half. It gets to eight. I think I almost have to bet Jacksonville out of obligation. Trevor Lawrence has not looked great so far. Jacksonville has the talent to be decent on offense. I mean, DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, they have guys on that. Uh, my boy, my fantasy boy, Marvin Jones, they've got the weapons to be good on offense. I don't know if that team is ever going to figure it out, though, that coaching staff, that play calling, that philosophy. Like Urban Meyer said to uh, Vic Fangio this past week, everybody's Alabama in the NFL. Yeah, unless you start coaching every game like you're playing Alabama, Urban Meyer, you're you're not winning nothing. I hate to tell you, until you start playing aggressively like your hair's on fire, you're not going to win anything because the teams are all good. Period. Every team in the NFL is good. Even the worst team, which might be Jacksonville, is pretty good. And like I said, weird things happen when you have to cover a big number like that as a road team, as a team that's not used to winning, which Arizona is not. Arizona is not a winning team. Cliff knows that if they don't make the playoffs, he's probably going to get fired. Kyler has looked great through two weeks so far. He's... I believe got the third or fourth best odds to win NFL MVP right now, which is kind of crazy considering how bad he looked during stretches of last season. I know he was injured. I know a couple weeks ago on the show, I already did the hand up my bad about Kyler Murray, but if he keeps playing like this, yeah, the Cardinals are going to be dangerous. I just want to see them do this a little more consistently. Good teams put away bad teams. They cover numbers like seven, seven and a half. Arizona does this. I think we can firmly say they're at least good. They might not be great, but they're at least good. I think we could say that if they can cover this number. Next on the list, the NFL debut, Justin Fields. The NFL starting, the NFL debut as a starter. I know that was a mouthful. I caught myself there. Made want to make myself sound intelligent. Justin Fields' first NFL start against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. The Browns, seven and a half point favorites. The Browns might be going out there with Anthony Schwartz, Richard Higgins, and Donovan Peoples-Jones as their one through three. There is a reasonable chance that Odell Beckham can make his season debut for week three this upcoming week. I know Kevin Stefanski said they want to make sure Odell's ready before they put him out there. It's why they haven't rushed him back. It's important to have that mindset with players like Odell, who you know have had a couple bad injuries. You want to make sure they're in the right state of mind. They trust their body underneath them. They're comfortable without being out there. Because if you're scared when you're out there, you shouldn't be out there. So it's a good thing the Browns haven't rushed Odell back. Seven and a half points for Cleveland. It's kind of a big number for a Browns team that didn't look great against Houston. I know the wide receivers are a problem. The Bears can rush the passer. I know that defense did a really good job this past week uh, um, against the Bengals. They rushed Joe Burrow. They made Joe Burrow throw a couple of interceptions, two on back-to-back passing attempts. If they're getting after Baker Mayfield, we know Baker Mayfield has a hard time against blitzes. He, I believe, had the second-worst QBR of any quarterback in the league last year when he was blitzed. I think the only player who was worse was Jared Goff. I want to see the Browns do this consistently like i just said about arizona good teams beat bad teams and that's it and make no mistake i'm pretty sure the bears are a bad team no offensive line to speak of justin Fields is going to have to be a miracle worker out there there's a world in which justin Fields plays pretty well keeps the bears in this game but rookie quarterback against a decent defense i gotta see the pass rush get going that's one thing though the browns have not had much of a pass rush through two weeks and that was supposed to be the big fix for this past year you had a full off season for miles garrett to be healthy he wasn't great last year post his bout with covid he was really winded he did not have the same motor you signed jadavian Clowney, greg newsom and grant delpit have both looked really good so far. You want to see more of them. You want to see Denzel Ward come back and play well. He had a really rough week two, Denzel Ward, the corner. 
I would like to see more out of that Browns defense because there's enough talent out there to be good. Between those guys, you got John Johnson back there. There's enough talent on that defense to be good. And against an offensive line that's not good, a rookie quarterback, you're going to have opportunities to make the plays on the ball, force the Bears into some third and long situations, get after fields, make him throw outside the pocket, or or just take away the Bears' teeth. If the Bears cannot rush the passer, you can win the game because their corners are not nearly as good as they used to be. And, of course, I've said it more than once on the show here, you want to beat a team that has to blitz a lot, you got to get the ball out quick, and you got to be able to run the ball up the middle. I think there's a world in which the the Browns can easily take care of business on the ground using Chubb, using Hunt, minimizing what Baker has to do. I didn't even mention part of the reason the Browns were so conservative last week in their game against the Texans is that Baker Mayfield dislocated his shoulder on a tackle after he threw an interception, had it pop back in, and Kevin Stefanski made the conscious decision to minimize the number of throwing attempts the Browns were going to have. It was on Mayfield's non-throwing shoulder, but that will mess up your balance and how you're going to aim when you're throwing. So want to make sure Baker's good to go. You want to see if Odell is in the game. If Odell's playing, if Baker's good, I think 7.5 is a reasonable number for this because you just don't know what to expect out of the Bears' offense. This is probably an under candidate. I know the under is probably not viable at this point in the week because it's gone down probably since Fields was announced as the starter. But I like the Browns in this game. I probably will put the Browns in a teaser, getting them down from 7.5 to 7. Don't think I can bet 7.5 on the Browns yet. I want to see the Browns cover numbers like this with some frequency before I start taking them outright like I just said about Arizona good teams you got to see them do it the Browns were pretty good last year you got to see them take care of business against these mediocre and bad teams don't let the Bears hang around in this game do not let Justin Fields have his miraculous NFL start like the Buccaneers did to Daniel Jones a couple years ago yes I know Daniel Jones came in at halftime don't let Justin Fields do that to you the Browns are too good of a football team to get rookie quarterback, okay? Just period. They're, they're too good of a team to d- lose to a rookie quarterback in his first NFL start. Moving right along here down my handy-dandy ledger, I've got the Washington football team and Taylor Heineke going to Western New York to play your Buffalo Bills. The Bills are 7.5-point favorites. The Bills are still kind of in that are we frauds zone? And I'm saying that in regards to last year where Josh Allen looked like an MVP candidate and not what he was two years ago, where in 2019 he looked pretty much just an athlete playing quarterback, lots of throwing off of one foot, throwing bad habits, fumbling. If the play broke down, his first instinct was to run as opposed to look for his check down. Those little things... Josh Allen did not look great this past week. The Bills firmly controlled that game. It was 14-0 after one quarter against the Dolphins. Soon as Tua got hurt, that game kind of felt implausible for the Dolphins to make a game of because Jacoby Brissett is a fine backup, but he's not going to be able to lead any kind of comeback because he's not going to be able to make any dynamic plays. That's one of the factors that makes it difficult for guys who don't play with any real frequency to make good plays in those kind of situations where if you don't get to play frequently it's hard for you to have a feel of the game you're not going to be able to make those explosive dynamic plays your team needs you to make if you're going to win those kind of games where you're playing from behind the Bills still need to iron out the kinks the Washington defense kind of looks a little fraudulent through two weeks. I mean, I think Chase Young is still trying to tackle Saquon Barkley, even though Daniel Jones is running down the sideline, I think. I, I'm pretty sure Chase Young tried to tackle the running back on every single zone read the Giants ran on Thursday Night Football last week. That defense, it's not it's not looking great so far. I, I, I know they... um. I know they lost week one to the Chargers and only gave up 20 points, but to let Daniel Jones dot you up like that and have a really good game against a bad offensive line, 
this is a good opportunity for the Bills to say, yeah, we're actually good. We are what we were last year. Last year wasn't a mirage because that Washington defense looks beatable right now. If Josh Allen is going to use his legs and beat the, the uh, edge rushers, whether it's Montez Sweat or, or um, Chase Young to the edge, there's a world in which the Bills easily take care of business here, especially against Taylor Heineke. And everything I just said about Jacoby Brissett in regards to the Dolphins game last week coming into the game, yeah, everything I just said about him, you can say about Taylor Heineke. I know Heineke's kind of gotten a decent reputation because Washington hung around with Tampa in that wild card round game because Heineke led that one drive on Thursday Night Football where he threw the touchdown to Ricky Seals-Jones, who I forgot was in the league, to be honest with you. Taylor Heineke's not a good quarterback. I, I, I know the NFL media people, the Rich Eisens, the Ian Rappaports, those types of people have to be nice. They don't want to be too depreciative of anybody who's in the league but let's be honest here there's a reason taylor heineke went to old dominion there's a reason taylor heineke made his first nfl start last year if he was actually good he would have been playing he's a game manager he's gonna take the checkdowns. he might be able to take a couple shots during the course of a game some play action stuff if you give it to him but if washington's gonna win these games with heineke until fitz comes back it's gonna have to be smoke and mirrors defense special teams like it was against the Giants. The Giants, Washington had no business beating the Giants, but the Giants just gave it to them. I don't think the Bills are just going to give this game to Washington. Buffalo, seven and a half feels like a lot for a Bills team that really struggled to score against Pittsburgh. And I don't think Washington's defense is as good as Pittsburgh's. Pittsburgh's got better defensive backs, which helps a lot in this regard. But... I want to see Buffalo do it. I, I, I know I'm hedging a lot with pretty much every game I'm talking about here because we only have two games worth of sample to draw upon, and you know how I am on the show here. If I can't say something authoritatively, I will tell you I can't say it authoritatively because I don't know. I don't talk out of my ass when I'm doing this because I care, and I want to give you guys good information. That, that That's really important to me, because you see some of the shit on TV, whether it's the ESPN picking shows, the pregame shows before the games, where they have people doing that kind of shit. I, if you don't know it, it's okay to say you don't know. I want to see the Bills move the ball with a little more consistently, a little more consistency on offense before I say they're fully back to what they were last year. They've yet to really get Stephon Diggs going. I know Devin Singletary had a couple nice plays last week. I got to see Josh Allen get back to his good habits. I got to get back to him making throws down the field and not as soon as the play breaks down, him trying to make a play with his legs. He's decent enough of a passer. We know he can do it. We saw him do it last year. We need to see him do it this year because if he goes back to what he was in 2019 or he's only like 70-80% of what he was in 2020, the Bills are going to have a hard time because that offense is not nearly as good if Josh Allen is a B-minus version of what he was last year. And the Bills were as good as they were last year because Josh Allen made considerable leaps, put himself in that MVP discussion, cut down on the turnovers, got a better processing system in his head. And when I say processing system, I don't mean like Windows 10. I mean being able to process what is in front of him and get through his reads fast enough to find who he's supposed to be throwing the ball to. Next on the docket, Indianapolis and Tennessee. Tennessee really had no business winning that game up in Seattle last week, but Derrick Henry went fucking off. Derrick Henry, the reason I lost in fantasy, I'm tired of losing in fantasy by less than a full decimal point. If I lose by a whole point, one point, something fine, I'm tired of losing by 0.6, 0.7. It happens every single year, and it is the most infuriating fucking thing. It is painfully annoying. And we got to see Tennessee be a little more consistent. That defense of Tennessee's is horrendous. Don't know if Carson Wentz is going to be able to go this weekend from the Colts. Pretty sure it's going to be Jacob Eason, the Washington, Georgia. The Georgia originally, then he transferred to Washington. Big arm, terribly inaccurate. If it's Jacob Eason, Tennessee wins this game. It's not going to be close. He is painfully inaccurate, and he struggled to be accurate in the preseason against second and third team defenses. So God only knows what it's going to look like against actual NFL defensive backs. And yes, I use that term loosely when I'm talking about the Tennessee secondary. Tennessee should handle this game. Coming into the season, you heard me say it. 
I didn't think Indianapolis would be particularly good because they were stuck with Carson Wentz, because there was no real game breakers on that offense. And no matter how good the defense is, if you have a C-plus offense, you're going to have a really hard time winning in today's NFL because every team that's at least halfway decent can score 20 points. I mean, the lowest scoring team in the NFL last year, I believe, was the Jets, and they averaged 17 point, like six or seven points per game. If you can't score 17, 18 points a game at minimum, uh, you're going to have a really hard time. And Tennessee's offense is explosive. If you get Tannehill time in the play-action game where he could take shots down the field to A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, you get Derrick Henry going on the ground, it's going to be an interesting chess match to see how Indy tries to play defense. Indy has the defense to keep this game close. But if it's Easton, hell, even if it's Wentz, I don't think Indianapolis is going to be able to score enough points to win this game. This is basically where Tennessee can separate themselves and get themselves out to a nice lead in that division and weather storms later in the season if they should come. You win this game, you're sitting at 2-1. and one. Everybody else in your division is 1-2 and two or worse because Indy... <clears throat> Indy excuse me. Everybody else in your division will have zero wins, based so far at least. Andy has yet to win a game yet. Andy looked okay against the Rams with Carson once. Okay. They hung around. I think that's more of an indictment of the Rams than it is the Colts. I want to see Tennessee tell me, nah, week one was just us ironing out the kinks. We're going to be just fine. I think that's probably the case. I think Tennessee gets to that 9-10 win mark just because of the divisional schedule. The rest of those teams stink. Houston, Jacksonville, Indianapolis. I think Tennessee can really start to hit the ground running, get themselves closer to the division title, which is only going to take 9 or 10 wins because Indy ain't winning more than 9 games. Like If everything goes absolutely right for Carson Wentz, and Frank Reich in Indianapolis, they're winning nine games. Tennessee wins ten, that's it. End of the discussion. That's all you got to do if you're Tennessee. You win this game, you're already two-tenths of a way there. That's a good way to start your September. Next, I have two teams I have no read on whatsoever. New Orleans Saints going to Foxborough. to playing the New England Patriots. The Patriots have the full home field three points as the favorite I don't know what new team New Orleans is. I don't know if there's a team week one that body bagged, absolutely body bagged Green Bay, or if they're the team that Carolina body bagged this past week. Jameis did not look good. Carolina's defense is not great. We just saw New England take advantage of a quarterback whose reading of the field is not great in Zach Wilson. Jameis can very easily be another four-interception game for this New England defense that is pretty good, even without Stephon Gilmore. We know the Patriots are going to play good defense. Mac Jones not really moving the ball efficiently. Lots and lots of dip and dunks. I know that's where the Patriots offense is designed around with the two tight ends with James White, Jacoby Myers. All those are short intermediate guys, and it's going to make Mac Jones' life easier. Eventually against better defenses, that shit ain't going to fly. New Orleans, pretty good defense. Might be able to make Mac Jones' life difficult, and this might be a mucker. This is a good candidate for an underplay based on what number you get. This game probably ends up being in the teens because both of these defenses are pretty good. Neither team's quarterback really worthy of trust this early in the season. I know I came on the show a couple weeks ago and was talking up Jameis Winston as comeback player of the year type energy, but I didn't think Sean Payton would ever have a quarterback look as bad as Jameis did this past week against Carolina. Got to see more out of both of these teams before I can make some definitive judgments. But I think New England is going to be decent, 9-10 wins. I think New Orleans can be in that same range, probably closer to the 8-win mark as opposed to 10, even though I was kind of high on the Saints coming into the year because of that defense, because of Camara. Saints need Michael Thomas back, man. They do not have a lot of pass catchers. I mean, I forgot Juwan Johnson was in the NFL. That's how long ago he was at Penn State and then at Oregon. Got to see somebody on that offense make some plays. Next, Eli Manning Day at MetLife Stadium. The Falcons coming to the Giants. Giants, three points, home favorite. This is a loser leaves town of loser leaves town matches. Whichever one of these teams loses is dead. 
at 0-3. You do not make the playoffs after starting out your year 0-3, especially in these teams' respective situations. The Giants get to 0-3. They might not win a game till Halloween. They might start out the year 0-8, 0-9 because of how difficult the schedule is ahead. They've got dates with the Rams, with Tampa, with Kansas City, with the Raiders. They have got a brutal schedule ahead. And this is the only clear winnable game. Hell, this might be the only Giant game the rest of the season where they are the betting favorite aside from maybe their second game against the Washington football team where the Giants will be the home team. And at that point, the Giants season might be over and they might have nothing to play for. This is where the snowball can get out of hand and bad if you are the Giants because... Atlanta looks dead. Atlanta played their way back into the game this past week against Tampa. They looked awful against the Eagles week one. I thought the Falcons were going to be decent. I thought Arthur Smith was going to work out there. Matt Ryan does not look particularly good. Matt Ryan kind of looks cooked. I hate to say it. I am a Matt Ryan guy. I've been a Matt Ryan guy since he was at Boston College. He looks kind of cooked. I love Calvin Ridley. Kyle Pitts, one of my favorite college football players ever. But I, Atlanta goes to 0-3. They're going to start getting Matt Ryan's ass out of there, and they're going to start talking about Malik Willis or Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell. The Giants need to win this game, or Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, and everybody's almost certainly getting fired. At 0-3, with the schedule they have ahead of them, they might not win a game till November. If they are at 0-9, nobody is going to a MetLife Stadium Giant game unless you're there to see the other team. That's the kind of shit we're talking about here. If it gets to 0-3 for the Giants at this point, and what was supposed to be a contending season, at least contending for the division, everybody's getting fired. Daniel Jones is getting replaced. Saquon Barkley probably not getting an extension. Giants need to win this game or everybody's hot seat is turning up. And maybe, I'm not holding my breath here that the New York media will finally start to hold John Mara accountable. But dear God, if there were ever a time, it'd be losing disgracefully on Eli Manning Day to a dog shit football team. I almost hope the Giants lose just so they feel some fucking shame. They should be ashamed how bad of a team they are. There is actual talent on that team. And they pissed away the game week one against Denver being pussies. And they did it in week two against Washington being conservative. How do you get the ball on the 22-yard line and settle for a field goal? Disgraceful stuff from the Giants against Washington last week. Next one, on the docket. This is one of the games I didn't have a great feel for when I did guess the lines on Monday, right when the lines came out. I originally wrote down Pittsburgh 7.5. It's Pittsburgh 4.5? I guess people think Big Ben's done-done. Like, what I was just saying about Matt Ryan, you can dial up to, like, 20 because we saw Big Ben be actively bad last year, and the Steelers have no offensive line to speak of. They could get Ben killed, and if Mason Rudolph gets in there, it's curtains for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And no, that's not an indictment of Mike Tomlin or the defense or the front office. They've stuck with Ben too long, and they've tried to build an offense around him. They've given him Chase Young, Chase Young, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju, Ebron, Pat Fryermuth. They drafted a good running back in Najee Harris a little bit earlier than I would have taken him. But the offensive line is not great. This is basically a Walmart version. Not, not even. This is like the Chanel version of what the Giants are, where the quarterback isn't great, the offensive line is bad, the skill positions are good, and the defense is pretty good. If Big Ben doesn't get it together, the Ravens and Browns are going to be looking in the rearview mirror and driving away from Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Cincinnati pretty much never beats Pittsburgh, so I don't think this will be the time they do. Joe Burrow is going to get killed behind that offensive line, and it scares me as a Joe Burrow guy. Might be no bigger Joe Burrow guy than me. Maybe Joe Burrow, maybe Joe Brady, maybe Ed Ogeron. Might be no bigger Joe Burrow guy than me, and I am worried for that kid behind that offensive line, which is going to get him hurt. Don't know if, I believe it's T. Higgins of the wide receivers in Cincinnati that's injured. If he's not going to go, that takes away his favorite checkdown guy, which is a problem. 
Jamar Chase has been pretty good through two weeks. He's caught a couple bombs. If you want to beat Jamar Chase, you got to press him at the line of scrimmage. You got to play some man against Cincinnati. You got to hope your pass rush gets home. And that shouldn't be a problem because Cincinnati can't block. So if you play man coverage, you press Jamar Chase, you make Tyler Boyd beat you. I think you can feel comfortable as Pittsburgh doing that because you have a good enough defense. Got to see if T.J. Watt's going to be able to play. He did leave the game early last week. You got to see if T.J. Watt's in there. I know I it, that is a big concern. I, I know Vegas is the, the darling of everybody's eye right now because everybody finds John Gruden amusing. It's the Raiders, you know, the Raiders, to quote Chris Berman. We don't know if the Raiders are actually good or if they've just taken advantage of two situations. I don't think the Ravens are bad, obviously. They just beat the Chiefs. But they took advantage of the situation. The Ravens coming west on Monday Night Football, getting a couple bounces to go their way, recovering some turnovers. Turnover luck is hard to carry over week to week. But Pittsburgh, this is a good opportunity for a get-right game. If Big Ben does not play well, you might have to consider going to Mason Rudolph and just going full game manager on offense because... If Ben's done, they're done. But at least if Mason Rudolph's in there, he's going to do his 16 completions on 25 attempts for 210 yards, one touchdown, no interception. Ben is going to try and throw in the double and triple coverage and throw jump balls up to Claypool. And that's not going to go well because Big Ben has no arm strength anymore. Good opportunity for a get-right game. I think four and a half. It's right in that sweet spot where Cincinnati will fuck you on the back door, and we know Joe Burrow is a backdoor cover guy. He's going to be throwing 55, 60 times a game, which does not lend itself well to betting against. Baltimore going to Detroit. Baltimore, 7.5-point favorites, fresh off of beating Kansas City. Detroit gave Green Bay a good first half. They stopped being able to move the ball on offense. Green Bay got it going. Eventually, Aaron Jones exploded with receiving yards. Ravens going to have to iron out who their primary catcher, pass catcher is. I know everybody loves Mark Andrews, but I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with a tight end as your best receiver. It's not all on Lamar. We know they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. That Detroit defense is pretty freaking bad. I expect the Ravens to run all over Detroit, I believe. Detroit has the 32nd ranked rush defense in the league through two weeks. No better way that for the Ravens to flex their muscles, cover a big number, than to take advantage of a Detroit team. Granted, I will say, Jared Goff has not played bad. Detroit's offensive line, Penny Sewell, looks pretty good. I will give Detroit that. I thought Detroit might be in the mix with Jacksonville and Houston for worst record in the league. I think Detroit will dumbly luck their way into a couple, three, four wins just because they can score some points, hang around in these close games. I mean, they had no business getting that game against San Francisco in week one close, but they got it to a fourth and fourth and like 15 for the game to tie the game. I believe it was 38-33 on that fourth and like 15 that Goff eventually threw an incompletion on. If you can hang around with San Francisco, granted San Francisco took their foot off the gas, stopped trying to score. If you can fight your way back into that game, you can't be written off. Eight and a half is a big number. Excuse me. Seven and a half. Perfect, perfect opportunity to tease Baltimore. The New York Jets... And Zach Wilson, fresh off his four-interception game, going to Denver and the 2-0 Denver Broncos. Ten-and-a-half-point underdogs. I think you have to hold your nose and bet the Jets here. I just don't think Zach Wilson can be that, be that bad two weeks in a row. I, it just doesn't seem possible. I don't think Denver's defense is as good as New England's scheme-wise. I think there'll be opportunities for the Jets. The Jets were able to run the ball reasonably well against New England in that game. All three runners had decent yards per carries over four. I want to see Zach Wilson put in easy situations. And I will say three of the four interceptions were Zach Wilson's fault where he just totally misread the coverage or he lollipopped the throw and it was easy to jump. The Corey Davis one, fine. You could blame that on Corey Davis where it went through his hands. At 10.5, you're almost tempted to tease the Jets up to plus 16.5. 
Because Denver's not covering 16 and a half. Teddy two gloves ain't covering a 16. Come on. He ain't covering 16. Denver might only score 25 points in this game. Denver, the Jets, the Jets defense hasn't been horrendous. I mean, they played all right against New England, and they played pretty well against Carolina. And they only gave up 25 points to New England, and considering Zach Wilson threw four picks, to only give up 25 points in a game you lost the turnover margin by four, that's not terrible. That defense is not terrible. I don't have a ton more else to say about this game. We got to see what Denver's going to do on offense. If they keep moving the ball along, Teddy has looked really solid through two weeks, which is very, very encouraging. But Teddy's not good as a, as a favorite. He's not. I forget what the number is. My boy Blakey Locks will have it. I'm sure it'll be in his game right up for this, where he'll tell you to hold his your nose and bet the Jets. Teddy's not great as a big favorite. He's not great as a favorite, period. He's good as a dog. Teddy is a... a Teddy, as a touchdown or bigger underdog, is over 500 for his career. I believe as a touchdown or greater, he's under 500. Granted, not a lot of games where Teddy Two Gloves is the starter. Was he a multi-score, a multi-touchdown, excuse me, multi-score. Yeah, I was right. Multi-score favorite. Next. The reeling Miami Dolphins and Jacoby Brissett are going Two, Las Vegas, Nevada is four and a half point underdogs to the surprisingly 2-0 Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders win this game. Everybody in NFL media is going to start going nuts because they're going to start talking about John Gruden, coach of the year. The Raiders are back. The autumn wind, the NFL films, John Facenda, Dave Casper. They're going to start playing the highlights from the 70s. They're going to start showing Jack Ham clotheslining people over the middle and Fred Blitnikoff making diving catches if the Raiders win this game and go to 3-0. and And this is the perfect situation to judge the Raiders on because under Gruden, Gruden 2.0, I should say, since he came back from doing Monday Night Football, the Raiders lose this game where they are the big favorite against a bad team. They lose this game a majority of the time. You got to see them put it together here. This is an easy opportunity for them to say, yes, our defense is for real. Max Crosby has played really well. Yannick Ngakwe is nursing an injury, but he's drawing double teams and making Max Crosby's life easier. I got to see the Raiders do it. I've said that statement a couple times about a couple different teams, and I'm saying that about the teams that need to show that they're actually good this year. A lot of people are rushing to be the first one in line so that they could say, if the things if things go well for them, they can rush out to say, yeah, I was right about the Raiders in week two. I said they were for real, and then they went 11-6, and six, and they made the playoffs as a wild card. There's no need to be first. It's the biggest pet peeve in, journal, in sports I have in sports journalism right now where everybody's rushing to be the first one to drop a take instead of the first one to be right. I would rather be right than rush drop a take, pretend I'd never drop the take, and move on. I'm not Colin Cowherd. I actually want to do this right. I I, I want to do this right. Raiders take care of a bad Miami team. We can start to say, all right, the Raiders are for real now. Let's see them when they play Kansas City, when they play the Chargers, when they play Denver, the rest of that division, because that division is looking like an absolute bloodbath right now. All of those teams look pretty damn good, and yes, I know Kansas City has a loss right now, all of those teams scare me. Uh, I would not want to play any of those four teams. I mean, the Raiders' defense is not the most inspiring unit, but when they have control of the game and John Gruden can call whatever he wants on offense, that offense is pretty damn dynamic. Darren Waller might be the biggest mismatch in all of football. No matter who you put on him, he's going to get open. You've seen flashes of Henry Ruggs where Derek Carr hit him on that bomb against the Steelers. You saw Brian Edwards out there, a little bit more of a conventional outside receiver, rugs in the slot, Waller, and then you put someone else on the opposite side. Or you could put, excuse me, no, they've been running with Renfro in the slot. Uh, that See, I caught myself. That was my Madden brain talking where you just put the fastest receiver you have in the slot because he's going to get the nickel corner who's going to be physical but not necessarily fast. That was my Madden brain talking, and I caught myself. You have Renfro, who's a good sticks guy on third down, you get him opposite Brian Edwards, and then Henry Ruggs. You get Waller, Jacobs, missed game. Got to see if he's healthy to go. 
but Kenyon Drake is a viable NFL running back. I want to see the Raiders be good. It would be very fun for everybody if the Raiders were a good football team. As for Miami, they've been the beneficiaries of good turnover luck for two years now under Brian Flores. And yes, that is good special teams and defensive coaching to force those turnovers. But eventually the turnover luck had to stop going their way. That's just the way turnover luck works. They've been a bad offensive team for two years now. Uh, They've used a lot of assets to acquire guys to build up that offense. It's unfortunate Tua Tagovailoa got hurt again, bruised ribs, hopefully only out a week or so. I gotta see it from Tua, man. He needs game time. He needs reps. He needs to be looking at live defenses to get better. I don't know if he's good yet. I don't think Tua is good. Gotta see more out of him the rest of the season. Only a handful of NFL starts. Never looked particularly great. His rhythm isn't perfect. He does double pump the ball a decent amount. Granted, the offense needs to... They need to get guys open for him. That is a problem. There's not a ton of separation. It's not the easiest throws to make. He's throwing into a lot of tight windows. But your comp, your ideal comp with Tua was left-handed Drew Brees. And just pinpoint underneath stuff. Not a great deep ball, but just enough of a deep ball that you have to respect it defensively. We haven't seen that yet. Again, only six, seven NFL starts. Need to see Tua back healthy in a few weeks. Jacoby Reset is a fine backup, but unless the guys around him are great, he's not winning you anything. Moving along pretty quick here, only four games remaining. In my opinion, the best game of the weekend, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to Los Angeles to play the Raiders. Not the Raiders, silly me. The Rams, I saw L-A-R on my notes here, and my brain went to Los Angeles Raiders because once upon a time they were the L.A. Raiders. Going to play the Rams. The Rams are 2-0, Tampa's 2-0. The Rams, one-point favorite. I'm going to bet Tampa Bay unapologetically. I need to see the Rams play well. They handled business week one against the Bad Bears team. They let Indianapolis hang around in that game, even though Carson Wentz was hurt and not playing particularly well. I want to see them be fishing on offense like they've been with Stafford. Need to see that defense give Tampa's offense a hard time. Antonio Brown may not be able to play. He's put on the COVID list on Wednesday. He is vaccinated. He has to test negative twice over the court, at least two days in a row to be able to play on Sunday. It's possible. It's not the most likely outcome, but it is possible Antonio Brown could be playing on Sunday. But we're going to get some good stuff here. We're going to get Mike Evans and Jalen Ramsey going mano y mano. We're going to get Aaron Donald against one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, going mano y mano. And we're going to get one of the smartest offensive guys in the league in Sean McVay going against one of the best defensive coordinators in the league in Todd Bowles. This should be a very fun football game to watch and a very exciting chess match to see full unplay. I want to see what Brady does against a real defense for the first time this year. Tampa has not played particularly good defense yet. They've played Atlanta, and they've played Dallas. If there's Aaron Donald bearing down on him from up the middle, we know how to beat Tom Brady. The New York football giants sending heat up the middle. If Aaron Donald's coming up that middle, the Rams can make this a football game. I just, I'm a bet Brady. I'm tired of losing money betting against Tom Brady. It's that simple. This should be the best game of the weekend. It's the best game on paper to me. I prefer this versus what's on Sunday Night Football. This is the Fox game of the week. This will be Buck and Aikman. This should be very exciting. This is a very good game. I think Tampa's better than the Rams. If the Rams win this game, the Rams are firmly put themselves in the driver's seat to win the NFC West because if they can beat Tampa, they can beat anybody else in the NFC. And frankly, if they can beat Tampa, they can beat anybody in the NFL. I want to see it, though. I want to see it from Matthew Stafford. And the Rams. That's so weird to say Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Wrapping up, three more games. Seattle going to the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota, one and a half point home underdog. Seattle's a weird team. This game is 100% coming down to a field goal at the end. Everybody remembers the game at the University of Minnesota football field. I think it's U.S. Bank Stadium. That came down to a field goal. The, uh, 
freezing cold game where everybody was blowing smoke out of their mouth for four quarters because it was like minus 10 degrees. The game that they lost on, I believe it was Blair Walsh's missed field goal from like 28 yards out that would have sent Minnesota to the second round. This is going to be a weird game. Minnesota's offense can move the ball at will. It's a matter of if they can punch it into the end zone. Seattle pissed away a game against Tennessee. They very easily should have won. They had a lead going into halftime. They let Derrick Henry run wild all over them. Dalvin Cook is entirely capable of running all over them. Gotta see Russ Cook, man. That Minnesota defense is not good. It might kill Mike Zimmer because his defense is bad, but that defense is not good. They're not going to be able to get after the passer. They're not going to be able to play coverage. You gotta see Russ, the Kalen Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, hell, Gerald Everett cooking. I gotta see Russ throwing aggressively down the field, making things happen. If Seattle comes out firing, tries to score 50 points, they'll win this game. If they try and manage this game, it's coming down to whoever has the ball last. Like the Kevin Clark tweet infamously says, the Seattle Seahawks have never played a normal game and may never play a normal game. Sunday Night Football, Green Bay at San Francisco. The two times the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo have played Green Bay, they won both times in blowout fashion. Last year when these two teams played, Green Bay smoked Nick Mullins and the 49ers. I think San Francisco is a better team than Green Bay right now based on what we've seen so far through two weeks. San Francisco is going to muck it up. They're going to try and turn this into a slugfest, grind-out kind of game where Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have to do too much. you got to see Brandon Ayuk in the mix. He has not had a big role so far through two weeks. You want to see Ayuk cooking, Debo, Kittle, whether it's Jermichael Hasty, whether it's Tracer, whoever the hell is playing running back for the 49ers is going to have opportunities to run the ball. I know everybody on football Twitter saw that one Trump Williams block this past week. I think San Francisco is a better team. I trust Kyle Shanahan more than I trust Mike LaFleur. I'm very curious to see what Green Bay looks like against this defense. Green Bay has had two very different games where they got embarrassed week one against New Orleans and then looked Pretty damn good against Detroit. I want to see Green Bay play well on the road at San Francisco where they've had a hard time against the team. They've had a hard time against, to be frank. Like I said, the two times they've played with against a healthy Jimmy G, Jimmy G and the 49ers body bagged them. It wasn't even close. Uh, one time, I believe, the time they did not meet in the, the regular season game two years ago, Green Bay had Green Bay because they were seven or eight point underdogs. I figured, fuck it. I'm getting that many points with Rodgers. I'll, I'll ride it out. It's fine. And that game was a blowout at halftime. And there was a moment there where Green Bay kind of got they got it within, I believe, two scores and then San Francisco punted it. And I was like, maybe Green Bay can backdoor it here. And San Francisco firmly put the game away. I think San Francisco is going to be able to win this game controlling the line of scrimmage. Green Bay's offensive line has not played particularly well without David Bakhtiari. They can get a pass rush going in Rodgers' face, make him make some off-schedule throws. I know I'm saying this about Aaron Rodgers, but if you hurry him up consistently, his process... Rodgers got one of the best processes in the entire league, but you hurry him up, you make him move around a little bit, you don't let him get comfortable, you can beat him. I think San Francisco wins this game. Three and a half, it probably ends up right around that three or four point margin. Three and a half is a good number. I probably, I'm probably going to bet San Francisco three and a half and hate that I got the hook in there too, but hey. Last game, Monday Night Football, Philadelphia Eagles going to Jerry World for the Cowboys. Cowboys are three and a half point favorites. I think Dallas wins this game. I just think Dallas is a better football team, period. I, I don't have a lot to say about it. The Eagles played pretty well against a good San Francisco team this past week. They outgained them like crazy. They controlled the line of scrimmage. They were able to run the ball. Jalen Hurts looked pretty good. I just think Dallas is good, period. I just think Dallas is going to be able to score points. They played pretty damn well against the Chargers. If they were going to be able to hold the Chargers to only 16 points or so this past week, you know they're going to be able to hold a less dynamic Philadelphia offense to around that same number. 
like Dallas in this game. Be very, very surprised if the Eagles went on the road and won this game based on what the Eagles have been so far. They've been able to hang around. They played really well week one against a bad Atlanta team. They gave San Francisco a game. It definitely wasn't an easy game for San Francisco. But to be fair, San Francisco was not aggressively prosecuting a game plan. They were more content to just let things play out, not ask Jimmy G to do too much and risk him making a turnover. So with all that said, yeah, Dallas, pretty safe play there. So, my big teaser here, I've got Tampa Bay Buccaneers down to seven, the Baltimore Ravens up, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down to plus seven, the Baltimore Ravens down to plus one and a half, Tom Brady getting a a full touchdown, I think that game is a field goal game, Baltimore, it's just better than Detroit, if Detroit keeps it within a touchdown that would be a good outcome for Detroit. Baltimore wins that game by two points. Come on now. Next, I have the Seahawks minus one and a half. That game is 100% going to be a minus one. The Seahawks are going to win on a field goal. I'm going to lose my bet on the hook. I hate it. Seattle, minus one and a half. My last one. This goes against everything I thought in the preseason. New England, minus three, hosting New Orleans. Those are my three plays for the week. We went one and two week one, but one of those was a money line underdog. We got a teaser for you. We got two outrights. Let's make some money, folks. Let's enjoy football. I will see you guys tomorrow. We're going to talk baseball with Chris Schweitzer, the sports report with Chris Schweitzer. I'll see you guys then.